If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and go to Psalm 77. And uh, as you turn and or load your Bibles, um, I'm just going to rant a little bit. And then really what I'd love to do is just dive into our time. I kicked something. I hope that wasn't important. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Nevertheless, Uh, Again, I'm just so encouraged to see y'all here this morning gathering for worship, opening your Bibles, loading your Bibles. Man, I pray that we are blessed this morning, that you are blessed as we study God's Word together. Um, As Vanessa said on the video, continue to visit our website. That's where we're going to provide you with all of our updates and details on what's going on, if any changes uh, actually uh, uh, will affect us, and so on and so forth. Again, just check on the website. So about four years ago, let me take that back. I've had a lot of coffee. About four weeks ago, we began a new sermon series. I'm just excited. We began a new sermon series uh, throughout the Psalms on emotions. Often, Christians view emotions in one of two ways. And if you're new or you're just hearing this, maybe you might land in one of these two camps. Oftentimes, Christians view emotions as uh, purely uh, emotionalistic, or they subscribe to something called emotionalism, or you might find yourself in the camp that is referred to as stoicism. And when it comes to emotionalism, uh, what that tends to teach is that uh, our understanding of Jesus and his word is very superficial, and our emotions are not only the priority, but they run deep and ultimately lead us in our walk. The problem with emotionalism is once more that there is a deep and profound um, grounding in the emotions and not enough uh, centered around the teaching of Scripture, uh, particularly the person and work of Jesus. If you tend to lean towards stoicism, you might be or want to be a great thinker, a philosophizer. You tend to look at God's word and seek truth. Uh, But uh, what tends to be wrong or what tends to make that camp, I guess you could say, incomplete is that while the truth of scripture is deep and profound, your walk is void of affection. And so when it comes to emotions, it's something we don't talk about, that's something we don't play with, that's dumb. And as we have walked through the Psalms, what we see is that many of the authors, if not all of the authors of the Psalms, squash both of these concepts of emotionalism and stoicism. They squash them by engaging God in the midst of pain and confusion, joy and anger, sadness and happiness, some effects for our time. (laughs) In our time, we've been examining that our emotions are in fact not bad. Again, if you were just joining us and you tend to lean towards emotions or you've been curious about emotions, let me give you some freedom. Emotions are not bad. In fact, they are the way God has wired us and our emotions serve as a communicator or an indicator to draw close to God 
in Christ. In short, our emotions communicate what and how we worship. This morning, we're going to take a look at a new one. See, over the last two weeks, we've looked at fear and anger, and I got a lot of amens on all those, and now we're going to be looking at lament. We're going to be looking at at lament, and it is one of those emotions that I think Christians either know very little about, and the little that they know about lament, they tend to not talk about it. That's even worse than anger and fear. It's worse than guilt and shame. That now means a whole pile of emotion, and that's the last thing I want to walk through or address. Or on the other side, There are Christians who know a great deal about lament, but exercise lament poorly. Sometimes you might even see memes on social media of Christians who tend to be too emotional, and there tends to be some interesting ways of addressing them sometimes. Maybe you've seen a couple of those memes throughout social media. Part of my argument this morning is going to be that I want to articulate what lament is, why you and I should lament, and how you and I should lament properly. And if we're gonna do that, we need to define lament. In his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, author Mark, can't always pronounce his last name, Vergop, defines lament as an honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. I want to say that one more time because although I've had a lot of coffee, I want to slow it down just a notch. Lament is an honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. Lament is the emotion that cries out to God in asking why. Lament is the emotion that cries out to God in asking how long, O Lord? Lament is the emotion that when approached appropriately and biblically, it leads us to God's grace in the midst of hurt and suffering or loss. And in our time, I'd like to give you a couple of examples. I've given you a couple of examples of some of the things I fear. I've given you examples about how my wife and I communicate in anger. Now I wish to give you a brief example of of lament as it pertains to ministry. I have loved being your pastor and serving as the preaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen over these last several years, and I have loved doing ministry with many of you. And I think as I look back at the last 10 years, um, I get really emotional and even excited at some of the the, the seasons and experiences that I have uh, been able to have in light of ministry and specifically in the context of church planting. 
And so while there is more happiness and joy, one of the things that I have had to work on, uh, and this was something that started in counseling last semester or in the fall, one of the things that I've had to work on is recognizing that one of the great things that I do is put super glue on a lot of my emotional hurts and wounds. I put super glue so that I can keep moving forward and do whatever needs to get done. And in the midst of ministry, the truth is that I've lost a lot of friends. Friends that aren't beside me anymore, friends that moved on to different things, friends that in light of their sin had caused a ripple effect or division in our relationship. But not even in that, not, only, not even only in that, my own personal sin and how that has affected some of the friendships that either I still have today or simply, and they simply look different or friendships that are no longer in existence. You see, over the last several years, I got really good at getting super glue and just putting it over these emotional wounds just to move forward so that we could be in a different place. And last year, I began to actually address these emotional wounds, and what that led me to do was cry a great deal. In fact, 2020 for me has probably been one of the most emotional years of my life, and it's weird and I don't like it. I don't like it because I actually have to address emotions. I actually have to unpack hurt that has been caused toward me or significantly hurt that I have caused towards others. And so as a result of that, the only way that you clean a wound is by actually getting in the infection over and over and over again. Learning how to lament, and though I would not call myself a professional in that, but learning how to lament has helped me engage God in his word as I process hurt and pain. Now, with that being said, that is a mere glimpse into lament, into my personal life. You might have areas that maybe you haven't lamented or maybe that you haven't addressed and that are far more significant, serious, and hurtful than church planting. Earlier this week, I was on the phone with one of our members and she was telling me about medical tests and exams that are, that are coming her way to determine, to help her uh, in light of her uh, physical condition. Uh, and she is scared or she was scared as that season nears because she walks daily in chronic pain. And at the same time that she walks daily in chronic pain, she is unsure if this disease, if this physical condition will ever go away, that in light of the treatment that she receives, she is asking, how long, oh Lord? I spoke with another young woman earlier this week, and she began to tell me about a medical procedure that she is getting ready for. As of right now, she has been on medication to kind of pull back the pain, but the pain is so unbearable that she wants them to, she wants her docs to up the dosage, but the problem is the docs can't up the dosage because if they up the dosage, then it affects her procedure and what kind of an effect that will have on her in the future is that if she chooses to get married, she may not be able to conceive children. 
And so as a result, she's just walking and living and waking up in pain, looking to the day that she's going to get that medical procedure in hopes that this will change things. But for now, she's just walking in pain. I spoke with a gentleman earlier this week, and here's the thing, it's not just about Lament isn't always confined to this season concerning even suffering. Sometimes it's even within the context of our own sin. And so as I spoke to this individual, he was telling me about the sin that he continues to battle and continues to fail in. He continues to lose. And he got to the place where he finally recognized that he doesn't hate his sin. In fact, he is apathetic towards his sin and toward the Lord. And in that moment, you see his heart break and realize I have become distanced from the Lord because I have distanced myself from the Lord. And so therefore, how do I get back to a place where I am worshiping God, to a place where I am convicted by my sin? (sighs) Spoke with a friend also last week, giving you a lot of examples, who is pending test results because there's a possibility of cancer. And he's just wondering, what are the test results? What's gonna happen? Are they gonna be negative? Are they gonna be positive? There seems to be no sort of comfort that can comfort me in the moment. Lament is sometimes the last thing we wanna do. Because if you look at all of these different scenarios, almost everybody responds the same. What do I need to do so that I don't feel this? How can I get busy? What kind of projects can I undertake? What kind of responsibility can I add? What kind of jobs can I do? Lament is the last thing we wanna do because it simply means dealing with what's actually going on. Lament means processing everything that you're feeling. And for many people, that whole process and that whole engaging part makes them feel afraid or makes them feel weak. It makes them feel weak. You see, but scripture not only shows us that lament is biblical, like it's not just a teaching point. Scripture shows us that lament, or excuse me, Scripture demonstrates lament. So not only does Scripture teach that it is biblical, Scripture demonstrates lament. You may be familiar with Jeremiah, right? One of the prophets of the Old Testament. He penned at least two books, Jeremiah and Lamentations. Do you know what his nickname was? The Weeping Prophet. Homeboy was the first emo, okay? (laughs) man that dude was sad all of the time but I want to encourage you to read Lamentations he's not just sad because he's a sad guy or because he listens to emo music right he is sad because he weeps over the sin of the people of God and how they have become distant from God and he sees sin all around him And in the midst of preaching, repent, 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 it only seems like his world, and it only seems like the people of God keep getting worse and worse and worse. 
Here's what I want you to know for our time. Here's the, here's the main idea. Lament is not a sign of failure, but a practice of faith. Say that one more time. Lament is not a sign of failure, but a practice of faith. I'm going to read Psalm 77, verses 1 through 4. However, we're going to look at the entire psalm throughout our time. So, once again, if you're just joining us, especially if you're listening online, we're going to be in Psalm 77 this morning, beginning in verse 1. This is what the psalmist says. I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearing. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Let's pray. God, as we come before you this morning, God, my prayer is that our hearts would already be prepped and primed to approach you boldly but humbly. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that uh, not only would you be present, even though you are, but we ask that you would be at work in us. That through your word, you would penetrate the intentions of our heart that you would reveal to us sin or that you would reveal to us things that we simply need to address. And if we're honest, things that we're too afraid to address. When it comes to lament, whether we know a lot about it or a little bit about it, I think many Christians like myself are just afraid. And so, God, I pray that you would give us a spirit of peace as we look to your word, and as a result, that you would bring us comfort through your spirit. But in addition to that comfort, that you would convict us, that you would compel us to fix our eyes on Jesus. God, may you be glorified in this time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to walk through three sections. I want to try to keep this as practical as possible. On our website, these notes are available to you. Um, But other than that, I want to be as practical as possible as we walk through lament. Part of the reason I want to be practical is because that's basically how I'm wired. I don't just want to walk through a psalm and then just say, hey, do this. I want us to be as practical as possible while being as biblical as we can in our approach and lament. And so the three sections that I'd like to walk through, again, this is on your notes, and these three sections are going to be questions that we're going to answer. We're going to answer what does lament communicate? We're going to look at what does godly versus ungodly lament look like. And then finally, we're going to look at how you and I should lament. Okay? Uh, You'll see those again on your notes. And so uh, one of the things, or the first thing that we need to understand is that lament, like other emotions, communicates something. 
Additionally, we need to understand that lament is a giant umbrella category for several emotions. It's one of the most diverse emotions that you and I can experience. We experience lament through grief, through confusion, or through brokenness, through loneliness, through loss. Lament, like everything else, communicates something about what we value. And oftentimes, lament is uh, in the context of loss. Now, when it comes to that, it's not only that. I just finished telling you there's uh, an array of emotions that can be experienced through lament. But within the context of loss, what it does tell us is that lament reveals and communicates uh, the value of something we held dear something that was very important to us, someone that was very important to us. Oftentimes when it looks like, uh, excuse me, oftentimes when we're looking at the context of loss, this could be a person, whether you experience a death or simply um, uh, the loss of a friendship or a relationship, Sometimes it could even be an object. Again, lament, like everything else, is going to communicate something, and that something isn't always Christ. And so it might reveal that um, you have valued something or someone that wasn't Jesus or God-centered. Sometimes it's the state of something. I gave you the example of Jeremiah, the, the weeping prophet who was lamenting uh, uh, the, 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 the sin of Israel and how worse it got and how distant they had become from the Lord. Lament communicates hurt because when we lament, we are so aware of what we lost, or we are so aware of what has happened. Now, I'll talk about this more at the end of our time, but again, what I, I wanna mention is that lament isn't always going to be in the context of something done to you. Sometimes lament is going to be in the context of something you have done. And we need to understand that on this side. In lament, we are provided with confidence in the ability to ask questions because of what has been revealed to us. Lament points us to God's grace. Because Jesus lamented. One of the names Jesus is known by is the man of sorrows. Lament points us to God's grace because Jesus lamented and as a result of his work on the cross, we are not left alone. You see, it is on the cross that not only are we reminded of our redemption done for us in Christ, but we are reminded that as Christians, as sons and daughters to the Father, that we have not only been reconciled to the Father, but we have bold access and confidence to approach the Father specifically in the context of lament. Now whether you and I do it biblically or appropriately is a different conversation. But once again, lament like 
all the emotions that we've covered and that we will continue to cover. Lament communicates something about what you and I value, and it's usually in the context of loss. And we are so hurt by that loss because lament makes us very aware of what we've lost or where we find ourselves. So, what does godly and ungodly lament look like? Once again, I'd like to be as practical as possible, and so I wanna preface this section by saying, godly and ungodly lament have opposing actions and similar actions that actually have different results. If that confused you, don't worry about it. I just thought of that sentence like an hour ago. I'll walk you through it, okay? We're gonna walk through four things. These are on your notes. I hope you just listen in this part, okay? What does godly and ungodly lament look like? The first thing that I wanna address is that there is a difference between processing and suppressing. If lament is an honest cry of a wrestling or from a wrestling heart in the midst of the paradox of pain and promise, then the first thing you and I need to be aware of when it pertains to lament is that lament requires us to process. You see, when you and I begin to process our lament, we begin to identify what's going on. We begin to identify what we're feeling. Now, I will say this, whether it's in this, this section or in the more robust practical section, this isn't a checklist. These are things that I would encourage you to chew on and meditate on in our time and afterward. Now, going back to processing. In processing, all we're doing is identifying what is going on, the season that we're in, the circumstance that we find ourselves in. We are processing how we feel about what is happening. But here's how many times you and I do it. Maybe it's just me, and again, you can disciple me in this. Instead of processing, we suppress. I give you the, the example earlier of superglue on emotional wounds. I'm just gonna superglue this up and bandage this up and kind of keep going. I'll figure it out at some point and maybe I'll get some time to actually address it. And so what you and I do in that moment, and we're gonna look at Psalm 77 in just a moment to see how that applies, but what you and I do oftentimes is that we begin to suppress our emotions rather than process and identify, rather than process and examine, what you and I, to do, what you and I tend to do is that we suppress and ignore, right? We suppress and ignore. That would be the first difference between godly lament and ungodly lament. Now, I want you to notice that the word lament is still there. Because ungodly lament, even though we're gonna suppress it, even though we're gonna stuff it down, even though we're gonna ignore it, you know it's there because at some point it's gonna get heavier. Might not get heavier today. Might not get heavier next week. It'll be heavier in a couple years, right? It doesn't mean that you don't do it, or it doesn't mean that you don't lament at all. It just means that it's unhealthy, ungodly, and unbiblical. Here's the second difference. You and I need to know, we need to be freed by this. 
There's a difference between godly complaint. Some of you are like, sweet, complaining. Hold on. Okay? There's a difference between godly complaining and ungodly complaining. Okay? As we begin to process what's going on and what we're feeling, when it comes to godly complaining, what you and I are doing is we are coming before God humbly and asking God bold questions, but we're doing so under the confidence that we have in Christ as we have been reconciled to the Father. That as his children, what we're doing is putting everything on the table, our frustrations and our questions, our complaints, and our confusion. We're putting it all on the table in the context of approaching the throne in confidence. Additionally, when it comes to godly complaining, and you could use a different word, I'm not that creative, but when it comes to godly complaining, what we're doing as we approach the throne of grace is we are complaining so that we would get through lamenting that it's part of the process as we're going to respond to what God has for us. Here's where we tend to go wrong. Rather than godly complaining, we complain in an ungodly way. Well, how do we do that? We'll wallow in what has happened. We'll replay what has happened over and over again. We stay in our state of frustration, and inevitably what tends to happen is, like suppression, we grow bitter, we harden our hearts, questions don't get answered, we become distant, and our hearts are far removed from God. Now here's the thing, the circumstance still has not changed or may not have changed. You didn't even get a chance to ask them questions. And so what happens is you just stay there. You know it's there, but nothing is happening. There's no processing. There's no repentance. There's no accessing the throne of grace. Nothing happens other than our hearts growing distant from the Lord. We tolerate sin. We become apathetic towards sin. When you and I tolerate sin, we breed apathy in our life. Here's the third thing, right? Godly and ungodly. Godly lament leads us into community with other believers. It leads us into community with other believers by inviting them into what is going on in our life. It means inviting other believers into what's going on so that they can either lament with us or so that we can provide them with clarity so that they would ask pointed questions. Because here's the thing, right? Like you, maybe, maybe not like you, maybe I'm just different, right? Like I failed mind reading class right? And so as a result, oftentimes when, man, another Christian brother or sister is like in a season of hurt or even lament, I will ask pointed questions not to fix things. I don't think that's in my nature. In fact, between my wife and I, she's the fixer, right? She loves to fix stuff. Um, and, and she's a handy person at home. I'm not, I only do like unimportant things like make coffee and cook. Um, <laughs> That's what I, those are my main jobs. 
With that being said, I'll ask pointed question, questions so that I get clarity on what's going on. When I receive clarity, I know what my role is. Sometimes my role is to sit there and shut up. Sometimes my role is to keep asking questions. Sometimes my role is to serve in physical ways that it's something I can do. Sometimes my role is just to sit in silence. So if you find yourself in a season where you're lamenting, grieving, suffering, and you invite a brother or sister into the season that you are experiencing, when they ask you a pointed question, hook them up with clarity. You could even preface it if you're not sure. You can preface it by saying, I don't need you to fix anything. I just need you to sit with me. I don't need you to to do anything right now. Man, could you just pray for me and keep it going? When you invite others into the season that you are experiencing in the context of lament, as you process, as you pray, be specific with other believers. Now, if you're on the other side and you are invited to lament with someone, ask good questions and serve them with humility. Don't be that Christian that's just like, oh, you're just sad. You need to do these things so that you get over this. Listen to them. Lament with them. Romans 12 tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. If you're like, I don't really do that, that's probably why you don't get called by other Christians to lament with them. Well, I'm not wired that way. No, you just suppress. The last thing, or not even the last thing, that's community. The next thing is silence. See, an ungodly way of of handling lament is in silence. In the book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Mark uh, Verga goes on to say that silent treatment is the worst, or silent treatment is the loudest display of unbelief. The silent treatment is when you don't turn to the Lord, you don't turn to others, you're suppressing everything, you're complaining about all things that uh, you should get, you should have your entitlement that you're not getting, and then you just sit in silence. You see, sometimes silence can be manifested or can be seen as pride, that either you're going into despair or you're trying to hold on to some sort of self-righteousness, that you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and get through this on your own. Silence oftentimes leads us to some form of pride. And when we get to the core of what is actually happening, there is disbelief that God is actually good. There is disbelief that God actually cares and is for you. And then the last thing, I think this is on the notes. Yeah, on the last thing, you're gonna notice that it's just one word, worship. 
if we look at this as a process, or if we look at this in terms of the difference between godly lament and ungodly lament, whichever route we go, it's gonna lead to worship. The question is who or what? You see, godly lament is going to lead us to worship where we enter into the paradox of pain and promise where we continually cry out to God asking why, seeking answers, being reminded of his faithfulness and goodness as we walk through the season we're gonna find ourselves in. Ungodly lament will lead you to worship. The question is, who or what? Maybe it's gonna be your intellect because you just don't wanna talk about the emotions. Maybe it's gonna be your own arrogance because you're self-righteous and you're right and nobody needs to know about what's going on in your head or in your heart. Maybe you're gonna value loneliness. I don't know. You can insert your thing. Maybe it's none of those things because those seem to be like intellectual and emotional. Maybe it's just the bottle. Ungodly lament leads to worship. The question is of who or what. And so we're going to continue to get practical as we look at Psalm 77. So then, as a result, if there's a difference between godly and ungodly lament, then how should you and I worship? This is the super practical as we look at Psalm 77. So, because I wanted to be cool, all the ways in which we lament, we're gonna start with the letter R, and there are five of them. So I hope this is easy. If not, it's on the notes, not my fault. All right, here we go. How should you and I lament? The first thing I would say is you and I should lament by relating to God. I want you to look at verses one through four. The psalmist says, I cry aloud to God and aloud to God and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. We've been looking at that word for the last two weeks. Selah is an invitation to stop, to pause, and to reflect on what the author is saying and what you are experiencing and feeling. And so we're going to do just that. Relating to God means that you and I, the first thing that we do is that we turn to God in prayer. The circumstance hasn't changed. You still haven't gotten answers. Things have not gone different. All you are doing is turning to God in prayer. That is the first thing that we do. And what we are doing or what we see in the psalmist in Psalm 77 is that he is remembering what God has said. He wants to meditate on what God has said and he continues to turn to God and he brings everything before God. He says, my soul refuses to be comforted when I remember God. I moan when I meditate my spirit faints. He is being brutally honest with the Lord. Season hasn't changed, hasn't gotten answers yet, but he turns to God in prayer and he does so over and over and over again. 
What that means is that if you and I are going to turn to God in prayer, and if we're going to meditate on the goodness of God in Christ, you and I need to be Bible students. You and I need to know our scripture. You and I need to be meditating on the word of God so that we would remember the promises and goodness of God in Christ for us because we will walk through seasons of lament. We will walk through seasons of lament. Some of you, as I mentioned, are already there. So by relating to God, we are turning to God in prayer. Number two, we reason with God. Now, what does that mean? Reasoning with God means that we're in our prayer, we're gonna put everything before him. We're gonna engage his promises, we're gonna engage our questions, we're gonna engage our complaints, we're gonna engage our confusion. We're gonna read through verse nine, but I want you to remember verse three, or, or the end of verse two into verse three. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. He's putting it all on the table. He's putting all of the emotions on the table. And then in verse five, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember. Now, if you're taking notes, if you got your Bibles open, he's gonna use the word meditate and remember over and over and over again. Highlight that, circle it, underline it, whatever it is you're doing, make that a priority. He continues, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Here are the questions. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? What does he end with? Selah. He invites you again to stop and reflect. And so what we're going to do is we're going to reason. We're going to put everything on the table. God, where are you? I know you're good. It just doesn't feel like it today. You're going to put questions on the table. You're going to put your feelings on the table. All as you are turning to God in prayer. Now, why should you do that? Because for the Christian, you have access to the Father to approach the throne in confidence. Right? That's Hebrews 4. That through the work of Jesus, sinners have been reconciled to the Father. And as a result, sinners are now called sons and daughters. And as sons and daughters, we can approach our Father in confidence to receive grace and mercy. Side note, circumstance still hasn't changed. Questions haven't been answered but he keeps going. So we're gonna relate, we're gonna reason, and then we're gonna refocus. Verses 11 through 15, he continues. Actually, beginning in verse 10. I will appeal to this to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember, there's that word again, the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder, so he's thinking, I will ponder all your work and meditate, so he's thinking a lot now, on your mighty deeds. 
Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. So what happens in these four verses? In these four verses, we see the psalmist refocus. He just finished putting questions on the table about how he feels and questions that he doesn't have answers to. And the next thing that he does is that he begins to refocus or reorient his heart by remembering what God has done for him. See, what you and I need to remember is that even in the season of lament, and you know what? I think Jocelyn said this as she was on stage singing, said this really well. Sometimes when it comes to the season that we find ourselves in, it is often overwhelming. And so what the psalmist is doing prior to this section is that he is putting everything that is overwhelming him, questions that he doesn't have answers to, confusion that he's experiencing, complaints that he has, he is putting that all on the table and he begins to reorient his heart to remember what God has done because sometimes the present is overwhelming. And so as the present is overwhelming, he's reorienting his heart in worship. He's fixing his eyes on what God has already done for him so that he would keep going. So what you and I need to remember is one, how should we lament? By relating to God, that is turning to him in prayer, reasoning with him. That's where we put everything on the table. And then as we are doing that, We are refocusing. We are reorienting our hearts. Number four is to repent. Now you can pull this out of Psalm 77, but I briefly want to look at Psalm 51, uh, verse eight and nine. Here's what God says through David. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. As you and I are relating to God, turning to him in prayer, as you and I are reasoning, putting everything on the table, and as you and I are reorienting our hearts to fix our eyes on Christ, you and I need to remember that part of that also means that we're gonna enter into repentance. A season of lament isn't always concerning what others have done to us, but the sins that we have committed to others and particularly particularly to one another. In their book, Untangling Emotions, authors Groves and Smith write this, that grief or lament may be an occasion for reflecting on our own failures or sin. Once again, when we enter into a season of lament and as we are relating and reasoning and refocusing, one of the things that often I think gets overlooked is repentance because it's someone else's fault that I find myself in this season. It's someone else's doing that I feel this way. And we overlook our sins. We overlook the condition of our heart. But the truth is, is that if we begin to reorient or refocus our hearts on God by remembering what he has done for us, I don't think we can get to the next step 
without being revealed, without our sin being revealed. The question is whether or not we actually repent of it. The question is whether or not we're actually confessing our sin. That goes back to the process and suppressing. So for those of you who experience lament, find yourself in a season of lament, when you get to this part, don't overlook it. What sin are you holding back? What sin do you just not want to talk about? You just want to get over this season. What sin are you afraid of exposing? After refocusing our hearts to worship, we must repent. And finally, the last thing is remember. This is verses 16 through 20. Here's what he says. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep troubled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The last thing that he's doing, and I want you to notice this. Okay, you guys ready? Here he is. Circumstance hasn't changed. Questions haven't been answered. He's not done lamenting. It's not over. It's not a process. It's not a, it's not a checklist. And so he closes Psalm 77 by remembering the work of God for him and his people. And so he writes about the Exodus where God saved his people or rescued his people out of slavery and made them his own. What that means for you and I is that you and I cannot forget the work of the gospel. This might be practical, but if we're honest, that's probably the last thing we think of. Because all we're thinking about is get me out of this rather than get me through this. You see, when you and I remember the gospel, we remember that the cross, like like the story of Exodus, is the ultimate event of deliverance. You see, the cross helps us to remember God's faithfulness. It It helps us to remember God's character and our redemption. Before we close, listen to me on this. The gospel frees you to lament because at the cross, you are reminded that Jesus is for you. At the cross, the gospel frees you to lament because you have an anchor in Christ. Therefore, you can approach the Father in full confidence. This whole process doesn't work apart from the grace of God for us in Christ. 
You can look at self-help or even psychology uh, when it pertains to lament or grief. And while they are going to differ on the steps of grief, everybody agrees that you have to get through it if you're actually going to work on it. The The gospel frees you to lament because at the cross, you are reminded that Jesus is for you. So, here's what I want to close with. Christian, I want you to have the freedom to lament biblically. That's just the AC. Don't worry, it's not a ghost. I want you to have the freedom to lament biblically. Some of you stop the process at complaining and your hearts are bitter and dark and distant from the Lord. Some of you, rather than inviting others into lament, choose to suffer in silence. The gospel frees you to lament because at the cross, Christian, listen to me, you are reminded that Jesus is for you. So I want you to know you have the permission and freedom to lament biblically. And so when you do, lament earnestly. Be like the psalmist in Psalm 77. The circumstance hasn't changed, questions haven't been answered, but he's putting it all on the table. He is saying some brutally honest things. I know you're good, it just doesn't feel that way today. You said you would always be near, I don't feel it today. I want you to lament earnestly, but in order to lament biblically, in order to lament earnestly, you need to first repent of your pride. Pride will lead you to one of two places. It's going to lead you to self-righteousness. Look at what I did. Or it's going to lead you to despair. I can't do this. Repent of your pride, Christian, so that you would lament, so that you would have the grace to lament. Turn and trust the Lord. Now, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I've got a couple of questions for you. Where do you take your lament? Who is your anchor? There is no anchor or confidence apart from Jesus because you're going to carry that. You're going to continue to carry it because there's a lack of hope. Therefore, Jesus invites you to come and know him. Jesus invites you to come to know him Not only so that you would be forgiven of your sin, but so that you would receive a new heart and the freedom to lament with an anchor. The freedom to lament in hope. The freedom to lament as a grace. So turn away from your sin. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus and trust in him as you move forward. Church, here's the reminder. To lament is not 
a sign of failure or weakness. I'm going to say that one more time before we close it up. Some of you are like, I know that, but I need to believe it. I'm telling you, to lament is not a sign of failure or weakness, but a practice of our faith. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you, God, my, my, my prayer is that we, would, that we would relate to the psalmist, that some of the same cries of his heart are, are, are some of the same cries that we wish to say out loud. And the truth is, God, you have given us that freedom in Christ. You have not only pardoned us uh, of our sin, but you have given us that freedom to lament, to experience grace, and to have hope as we lament. But the truth is, Lord, we often choose to not do that. We often choose to not approach your throne. God, we often choose our bitterness. God, we often choose to be silent and as a result to suffer in our silence. God, we often listen to the lies that tell us that, uh, that say that we are alone and that you don't care. But we know that those are lies because of the person and work of Jesus and specifically his work for us on the cross. So God, would you humble us this morning? Lord, at the end of the day, this was, this was just a sermon. This, I, I didn't say everything about lament. I, I, I know I didn't answer all of the questions. And so Holy Spirit, would you penetrate our hearts? Lead us to your word so that we would turn to you, so that we would relate to you, so that we would continue to cry out to you? Would you forgive us of our sin, of our pride? God, our pride leads us to self-righteousness. Our pride leads us to despair. Humility leads us to hope and grace. Humility reminds us that we are sons and daughters. God, lament is going to come our way. And if we're honest, a lot of that's already here. With things happening in our country and in our cities and in our community, God, we ought to be a people who lament. It seems like it's just getting worse, and we seem to just be asking, Lord, when will you come? But the truth is we haven't asked that. We're more busy on our keyboards. We're busier with filters We're busy trying to fit all of what we want to say into a couple of a hundred characters. And Lord, we, we just don't lament. And it seems to be getting worse, just like what Jeremiah sees. So Lord, would you not only humble us, but would you break our hearts, Lord? 
Would you break our hearts so that we would lament over the sin that we see? Would you break our hearts over the seasons that we find ourselves in? Would lament lead us to cry out, come Lord Jesus, come. God, as we continue to worship, may we sing loudly, earnestly, because we have hope in Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.